Now, time is running out to join us at the Blueberry Convention, February 28th through March 1st in Tucson, Arizona. Save your seat today to learn alongside Blueberry industry colleagues, hear from inspiring keynotes, enjoy blueberry-infused meals, and learn about the latest and greatest on Blueberry Lane. Simply go to blueberryevents.org for more details and to register today. That's blueberryevents.org, and I look forward to seeing you all in Tucson. This copyrighted podcast is presented by the U.S. Highbush Blueberry Council. The opinions and views shared by those of non-paid guests on the business of blueberries are those of our guests and do not represent the views, positions, or policies of the USHBC. The blueberry industry is like no other, passionate, resilient, and innovative. This podcast is your source for the latest information on the management, markets, research, and technology related to blueberry production. This is the business of blueberries. Here's your host, president of the U.S. Highbush Blueberry Council, Casey Cronquist. Welcome back to another episode of the Business of Blueberries, the only podcast dedicated exclusively to the blueberry industry. Now, it's no secret that we want everyone out there enjoying delicious and healthy properties of blueberries, and there's no more important place for healthy ingredients like blueberries than in our schools. That's exactly what we're going to be talking about today. Rachel Petralia is culinary specialist for the Georgia Department of Education, the fifth largest school nutrition program in the nation. Prior to this position, Rachel spent almost 14 years working for the Gwinnett School Nutrition Program, developing recipes and menus for the district's 182,000 students. Rachel earned her bachelor's degree in culinary arts from Johnson and Wales in Miami, Florida. Her passion for cooking has led to many career highlights, including traveling to South Africa, cooking for the James Beard House, being featured on the Today Show, and writing a cookbook. Chef Rachel is a proud member of the Culinary Institute of America's Healthy Kids Collaborative and serves on the advisory board of the Healthy School Recipes. Rachel was our partner at Gwinnett County School District last year when we did a blueberry partnership through the Culinary Institute of America's Healthy Kids Collaborative Program. She developed several new menu items featuring frozen blueberries, all of which performed well at last report. So I want to talk to her more about that and certainly a lot more we can jump into. Rachel, thank you for joining me on the Business of Blueberries. Thank you for having me. Well, look, I am excited to talk to you about, you know, the innovation, the creativity of healthy food options there in K through 12 for food service. But uh, I'm particularly excited about this episode just to learn more from you about how that K through 12 program works generally, certainly from your experience there in Georgia. Um, but before I get ahead of myself, let's start with a little bit of that background. I, I certainly shared in the beginning some about what you have done in your career your bio, but what inspired you to get into this line of work to begin with? Well, you know, culinary arts has always been my passion. And from a fairly early age, I knew I wanted to do something with food and creating food. Obviously went to school and was really working in fine dining and school nutrition was not necessarily on my radar. And it was when I had my first son that I was looking for a better work-life balance that I started to explore other opportunities to use my degree. And I grew up in Gwinnett County. And so when I saw that they were looking to hire a chef, I jumped at the opportunity and did not know what all went into school nutrition. I liked the opportunity of 
being really creative. I feel like you really innovate when you do have some parameters. For one, students, they can be tricky to, you know, figure out exactly what they're looking for, what they want, what they're going to eat so that they're ready to learn. And then also navigating the regulations. So every single year, it feels brand new and it feels that there are new challenges and food's constantly changing. So I really love that aspect of school nutrition. And does it feel like it's moving faster and faster when you're saying that it, it seems like it's, it starts fresh and new every year? Do those changes seem like they're increasing or the expectations of what's needed for the change in a new year seems to just continue to move at a faster pace? Yes. I think that students are so savvy. And they know so much about food. You know, social media plays a huge role in that. Also, cooking channels, cooking shows, Instagram, they want to take photos of their food. They're watching videos on TikTok of recipes. They're getting in their home kitchens, you know, at a younger and younger age. So I think that. Certainly from when I was going to school and I didn't have that many opinions, you know, I I ate what was served to me. But even in the last four or five years, the detail of what they're looking for, their likes, their dislikes, increasingly is sped up. Trends tend to be moving faster. So yeah, you've got to be on your toes and quick thinking and creative. And you have to be able to do that. Whatever they come to you with, yep, we can get that at breakfast. We can get that at lunch. So I'm able to be really creative and that's fun. Well, it sounds like a lot of ownership taking place at the school district, at least for your experience. And I, I don't want to contrast to that to my high school experience or, or uh, growing up where I felt like the district was abdicating responsibility of the nutrition to companies like Taco Bell and Pizza Hut. And it doesn't seem, you know, from what you're describing, uh, that that responsibility is being contracted out like it used to. The responsibility you're describing is one that you guys take as your your nutrition program for the kids. So talk to me about, you know, has that been a, a flip back to districts being responsible to it or was my experience unique? How, how would you explain today's environment compared to the past? You know, each district and each state is going to have a slightly different way of approaching it. However, districts those local school systems are going to create their own programs. And the more cooking that they're doing in that local environment, for one, they're able to change quicker than if you're going to contract out. You're also able to include students. You know, even now um, in my new role as the culinary specialist for the state department, we have a student chef competition and students at the middle school and high school level are creating recipes that they want to see at lunch. 
And then we're able to adjust them if they need it to meet regulations, to make sense for kitchen production at a school, you know, environment and serve them exactly what they want. You know, if you're contracting with someone, you're going to lose the ability to make it exactly what you're looking for and exactly what the student's looking for. Well, that might be a good uh, segue into talking about your role today and how is that similar or different than what you were doing there at Gwinnett County? Yeah, there's a lot of similarities. I think that the idea of creating menus and recipes that districts are looking for, that students are looking for, that utilize local seasonal ingredients Rather than working with one district, I now have the opportunity to work with all the districts within the state of Georgia. And in talking about blueberries, I mean, blueberries are one of the top 10 commodities in the state of Georgia. And the students really love them and are looking for them. And so to be able to take some of those recipes and make them available to any district, it's very exciting. Yeah, it's encouraging for me to hear you say that. I guess I'm even in this role, not quite clear on some of the things that go into the decision tree for school districts like Gwinnett to make decisions about bringing those kind of ingredients forward. How does that work for those to be considered for menus at a local level? For instance, I'm sure cost is a factor on you know districts trying to decide what to choose between and often can compete with what's healthy. So, you know, talk to me a little bit about that decision tree from your perspective on, you know, what gets kind of mandated down or restrictions that just come with costs related to what otherwise could have been different items on a menu. And then and how does that relate in your mind to what where blueberries fits in that decision tree? You know, when you're Talking menuing and you're looking at items and you're looking at ingredients, cost is always going to be a factor. And with something like blueberries, they can be perceived as being, well, perhaps too expensive for school nutrition. Well, the more you menu something, your buying power goes up. And so the cost can become a bit more negotiable. So I think that in building recipes and in placing them on the menu, you want to have a nice placement where they're going to be featured more than once. And then also looking at seasons. So we do a harvest of the month where something that is in season in the state of Georgia is featured. Following those seasons is also important. So like May is blueberries. And then we're able to provide resources such as marketing materials to get the students really excited, to get the community excited. And then also recipes that make sense for using blueberries that also the students really love and have all the nutrition and crediting that the districts are looking for. So I think that anytime you can provide the necessary information, it's very helpful. That's awesome. 
That's exciting. And I want to talk a little bit more about all that. But before we do, um, it's time for our crop report. Believe it or not, the beginning of our domestic season is right around the corner, but we also have reports coming in from Peru, Chile, and Mexico. So here, once again, is your blueberry crop report. It's time for your blueberry crop report, an update on crop conditions and markets from important blueberry growing areas. Today, you'll hear from Daniel Bustamante in Peru, Andres Armstrong in Chile, and Mario Ramirez in Mexico. This was recorded on January 18th, 2024. Hello, this is Daniel with a crop report from Peru until the end of week two that ran from January 8th to January 14th. So far, this season that started in week 18 until the current week two, Peru has shipped a total of 424.6 million pounds of fresh blueberries to the world, which is 27% less volume than what was shipped during the same period last season. The U.S. remains as the main destination for Peruvian blueberries, representing 54% of the total shipments so far, followed by Europe with 29%, China with 13%, and other markets accounting for the remaining 4%. Of the total volume shipped, 11% have been organics. During week two, Peru shipped a total of 14.6 million pounds, which is an increase in volume of 10% versus last week. The U.S. market representing 56% of the volume with uh, 8.2 million pounds, which is actually 2% less volume than last week to this market and should be arriving to the U.S. uh, the fourth week of uh, January. On the other hand, there has been an increase in shipments to other markets, led by Europe with 32% of the volume, China with 9%, and other destinations with 3%. This has been the Peruvian Crop Report for week two. Thank you. Hello, this is Andres Armstrong from the Chilean Blueberry Committee. This is our crop report of week two with data until January 7th. This is week one. During week one, 8.8 million pounds of fresh blueberries were exported from Chile. This volume appears to be low for a peak shipment period. In fact, The previous two weeks recorded an average of 23.4 million tons each. The forecast, however, was lower than the previous weeks at 16.5 million pounds, which was almost 30% less. What happened then? Once again, we're facing a distortion in the departure volumes as a result of two vessels that should have been left on week one and were rescheduled for week two. Between them, they make more than 6.6 million pounds. For this reason, it is very likely that week two will end with an increased volume attributable to the situation of the, of the ships, and also because we are in the peak weeks with a high movement of fruit. In total, until week one, 85 million pounds have been exported from Chile. This is 34% less than the last season at the same time, but it is 52% progress compared to the estimated volume of 162 million pounds for the current season. In the coming weeks, the southern regions will begin to harvest more intensively, although their participation is lower than the regions that are currently finishing. Therefore, it is expected that volumes the following weeks will be around 13.2 million pounds and then begin the decline to decline of the season towards the last week of January. The main destination markets up to week one is the US with 
36% of the shipments, followed by Europe with 36% and Asia with 15% share. Other markets in the Middle East, Latin America and Canada account for the remaining 3%. The supply of organic blueberries up to week one is 9.1 million pounds so far, with 78% of which have been shipped to the US and the remaining 22% to Europe. This is our report for week two. Thank you very much. Hi everyone, here Mary with the Mexican Blueberries report for week number two of 2024 and the report for the total season at the date. During week number two, Mexico exported a total of 2,150,000 pounds of fresh blueberries worldwide. From this volume, 2,110,000 pounds was exported to the United States and the remaining 105,000 pounds to other destinations, mainly Europe and Asia. 18% of the total volume were organic blueberries, 390,000 pounds was exported mainly to North American market. The volumes are beginning to recover for this season, and this week is 21% higher respecting previous week, and only 18% lower comparing the same week for previous season. This week, like the last one, there are no volumes of frozen blueberries reported, and these are the total numbers for the entire season. 17 million and 500,000 pounds of fresh blueberries were exported worldwide. 89% is conventional volume. It is 15 million and 677,000 pounds. And the remaining 11% is organic volume. 1 million and 900,000 pounds. The total season is 52% lower than the previous season, but we're expecting higher volumes from this week ahead. The total volume for frozen blueberries is 1,214,000 pounds. It is 30% lower than the previous season. In my report, thank you very much. See you next week. Now, thank you so much to our busy growers and colleagues who take time to participate in these reports. As a reminder, you can visit our website at ushbc.org forward slash data to find out more data and information about what's happening in the industry by visiting us at our website, ushbc.org forward slash data to check that out. So, okay, let's go back to our conversation with Chef Rachel. I guess where I'm curious from your experience, I know we, we've talked a little bit about your work with blueberries in the role, but just, you know, what has been your experience working with blueberries before you got into the partnership with the Culinary Institute of America and that program. So, you know, did you have a passion or a background at all for blueberries before before you started working with CIA? Sure. You know, Georgia grows a lot of blueberries and, you know, they're delicious. And I've always thought that fresh fruit is very important. And Berries are one of the most popular fruits for students. Now, before I got into the partnership with the CIA and Healthy Kids Collaborative, we were an example of a district that was certainly going to highlight blueberries when they were in season. Outside of that, 
Not as much for some of the same reasons that, you know, other districts might think as well, you know, are they going to be too expensive? Um, We've got other fruits that we can select from. What I found through the partnership was students love when blueberries are included. We did overnight oats with blueberries. We did parfaits with blueberries. We did smoothies with blueberries. And these were already recipes and entrees that the students were familiar with and liked. But when they saw that it's a blueberry parfait, they gravitate towards that. Um, It is a culinary term and a menu term that grabs attention. Well, talk to us a little bit about that partnership. I mean, what what went into it? Like for the folks who don't know about Healthy Kids Collaborative Program, like what is that? How did it influence this? I mean, you described it there uh, briefly, but um, what are you looking for when you're participating in that and, and your maybe your leadership role there? The Healthy Kids Collaborative brings together school nutrition leaders and innovators from across the country. And we're always looking to just push the level of the meals, the quality of the meals, the culinary expertise that goes into the meals. And with the partnership, it was really nice because I was able to learn a bit more about blueberries, about the availability, about the different options for purchasing in school nutrition. And I think that even though I had been in school nutrition for a lot of years before that partnership, again, I kind of thought of fresh blueberries when they were in season. And I started looking at purees, frozen options, just other ways that I could gain access to them and incorporate them on the menu. And I think that focusing on something that you know students love and that you know is really nutritious can make a big difference. And I found that through the partnership. Well, I am encouraged to to hear that uh, experience that you had. You know, I want to talk more generally about the opportunities for blueberries in K through 12. You've done a tremendous job, you know, with what you're describing there in Georgia, most specifically your time at Gwinnett County. But let's talk about what your experience is in that leadership role on how you see where blueberries fit in a K through 12 program that that may not be in Georgia. So for those folks who are listening, where, where do you see it fitting in school district menus around the country? Does, does your experience, do you think it translates nationally? I think one of the biggest opportunities for blueberries and school nutrition is currently at breakfast. I think that breakfast is on everyone's radar due to the pandemic. The way we served not only breakfast, but lunch did shift a bit and school systems had to rely on less scratch cooking, speed scratch cooking, more convenience items because our serving model changed during the pandemic. Now that we're out of that, breakfast really has the opportunity 
to shift back to scratch cooking and blueberries at breakfast are for me a must because they add natural sweeteners. So you don't have to incorporate a lot of sugar. You know, when you think of breakfast staples, blueberries immediately come to mind with yogurt and muffins and oatmeal. So I think that a natural transition to incorporating blueberries onto your menus at breakfast. Sweetening a food naturally, to me, is a no-brainer. And that's the answer. I think that when you use fruit like blueberries and incorporate them in to breakfast staples, you end up with a product that's really delicious. That's where I want to see school nutrition and school breakfast get to. That's the direction I believe it's going to start moving in. I appreciate you sharing that. That's a it's an interesting vantage point because I think it leads to my next question, which is, you know, the facilitation of blueberries on the menus. Like, what are the things that you see for us as an industry uh, that we need to be thinking about to facilitate more blueberries being available for more kids? So, you know, talk to me about what you think. Just putting yourself in our shoes are the barriers, the opportunities. I'm curious your thoughts. I think there's a tremendous amount of opportunities. I think that knowing that flash frozen blueberries, dried blueberries, blueberry puree, how those can be incorporated is invaluable. If we're going to bring in blueberries and we're going to put them on the menu, I'm not necessarily going to take them and in a small amount, add them to a sauce where, yes, I'm getting some flavor, but they're going to be kind of missed or hidden. I think highlighting them, showing those examples is really important because it makes the impact on the menu, the student, the community takes notice. You just can't miss it. That is so encouraging because I think we see some of that same opportunity. And I think this example in Georgia is, is a unique one. You, you already had, like you said, some experience given the state and the, uh, the status of the crop within the state. But I think for everybody listening, you know, it isn't just because it's Georgia. So as we kind of wind things down here, what's, what, what keeps you optimistic? I, I'm listening to you and I'm impressed by one, first, how you got into this business, you know, the, the connection you have to your kids, the influence that you've been able to have, you know, both at a, at a district level. And then of course, now at the state level, it's a, it's a tremendous legacy that you've created. But what, what are the things that, that are encouraging of this work for you today? What keeps you optimistic about the future? I stay really optimistic because I think anytime you're presented with a challenge that just creates creativity and innovation. I also think that students are looking for an experience and they're looking to try new things. And so that is one of the wonderful things about kids you can change and they don't skip a beat. 
They want the same things that we're looking for in a dining experience. And as long as it's done well and it's flavorful and presented pretty, they're going to enjoy it. So there really are no barriers. And then also students are so willing to share that a lot of times we don't even have to figure it all out, which is awesome as well, because, you know, part of our work is done by just listening to what they have to say. So if you go to the table and say, you know what, we want to do some more scratch cooking at breakfast. We don't want to do as much added sugar. What do you think about blueberries? Well, then they're going to give you 10 ideas before you walk away five minutes later. Um, And then it becomes our job to figure out how to execute those successfully. Well, and that's such a huge feedback loop. I mean, what you're what you're describing on scale seems uh, like a, a tremendous both opportunity and task. So so what's that process, I guess, for you to get that all into a can, so to speak, and then decide? I think that you capture data from a few different areas and then you look for the overlaps. So what's trending, what's happening in quick serve restaurants, fast casual restaurants, because if students aren't eating at home, that's where they're going. So go to the marketplace and then you also talk to students. And very quickly, you'll start to put together those common denominators. You can get a lot of invaluable information fairly quickly. Um, And at a local level, you also look at your participation and what days are high and what days do you have opportunity to grow that participation and talk to the kitchen teams because they are serving that food every single day and they are getting that feedback immediately. Students have so much feedback and really good feedback, really detailed feedback. If you just take the time to talk to them for a minute. Yep. Excellent. Well, I could use a little feedback and I think this is probably for all of us who who have these commodity board responsibilities where we can come alongside districts and states and 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 give our resources so to speak in terms of you know we've got a ton of health research as an example for blueberries we we can dig into that but also you know in helping to you know communicate what we know consumers are looking for you know we do our own consumer research we have a ton of that information for how we go to market and you know what makes blueberries interesting for consumers so what i'm asking here is how can commodity boards like the US Highbush Blueberry Council do a better job utilizing our resources to support your work I think that people are very interested in how something grows and where something grows, the length of time it takes for something to grow, how it, you know, is seed to harvest. People don't necessarily know these days exactly how something gets to their plate. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and that's kind of interesting because I, I wonder too if it is tied to that thing you said at the beginning of the episode, which is how social media works, because you know, to your point, like a lot of Americans just frankly don't know where, how production, agriculture and food comes to the table. That's just true. And I would say for me, you know, I'm in agriculture, but I can look back at my tenure growing up and it just 
wasn't something I thought about, but certainly something to take note of as, as we wind down here about what more we could doing to provide that story, that narrative, that understanding to the schools about how do blueberries get to the plate? So I appreciate that feedback. Is there, is there anything else that you'd like to share with us before I let you go? I'm just very thankful that I was a part of the partnership because growing up in Georgia and I know how many blueberries we grow here, they still were not necessarily a focus for me and the impact that they had on our menus and Gwinnett was huge. And now being at the state level, you know, we're able to just continue to expand on that. It's been really wonderful. Um, and I appreciate all of the people that go into ensuring all the fresh, frozen, pureed, dried blueberries that are available to school nutrition. Um, we should all take advantage of that. Excellent. Well, I really appreciate this encouraging conversation. It's certainly a, a great way to kick off our year, uh, talking to you about, you know, the future ahead and the work you're doing there and what more we could do to work alongside you as we go forward from here. So Rachel, I really appreciate your time. I admire the work you're doing there in Georgia. And again, you know, we'll stay in touch and continue to support you in your leadership role there and, and look forward to, uh, an exciting 2024 on the K through 12 menu. So thank you so much for joining us on the business of blueberries. Thank you for having me. Well, what a great conversation with Chef Rachel. I am leaving this conversation really inspired about the opportunity ahead, not to just work with uh, the state of Georgia, but all the states who have these kinds of needs and wants for their menus at K through 12. It's an exciting opportunity for blueberries looking at what example this represents for us. So I hope you enjoyed this episode, but that's it for episode 161. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back next week with more innovation, collaboration, family, and hard work right here on the Business of Blueberries. Oh,